Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the Master Instructor Roundtable. I'm Regional Master Instructor Marty Miller here with my co-host, great friend and fellow Regional Master Instructor, Miss Wendy Batts. Wendy, how you doing? I'm great, Marty. How are you? Good, thanks. Looking forward to today's topic. I know that uh, you and I have gone back and forth on this and, and why it's important, but I think we're going to have some fun with it today. I do too. And those of you guys that are joining us, Marty and I are going to talk about accommodating resistance today. Um, specifically, you know, utilizing bands and chains and some other ways that you, instead of just loading the actual muscle, other ways that you can manipulate it to get, um, I think, actually, if not the same or better results, because again, there's different direction of pull, there's a lot more challenge, and it's something different that clients don't usually do every day. Right. And I think sometimes personal trainers and or people in the gym, they grab bands and they're using them and they just use them because either they're there or they've seen it being used, but they don't truly understand that there is a unique scientific application to the type of resistance that these bands and or chains can provide. Yes. And chains, you know, it's funny if I bring out the big chains, people look at me and I'm like, you know what? I just want to feel, cause you know how like there was the MMA fighter um, that would come out Rampage. with all the things. I'm like, you know what? Here is, Here's your moment to shine, you know, but there is a lot behind it other than just looking different. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. Exactly. There is a purpose. There it's is a purpose. to be intimidating, right? <laughs> well, the intimidating factor is always really fun too, but right. that actually brings us to what we're going to discuss. So Marty and I are going to talk you through a little bit of functional anatomy of just different muscles. So when we talk about the differences between resting length and muscle imbalances and, you know, what would cause or allow those to happen. We're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk about the importance of training and the end ranges of motion and what exactly that means. And then we're going to talk about training implements such as these bands and chains and how they can help strengthen your muscles at the end range. And then of course, we'll talk about new training techniques that can be implemented in the best model out there, which is the OPT model. Without a <laughs> doubt. I love it. Great, great introduction there, Wendy. Uh, well, you know. <laughs> Well, yeah, I think one of the things that we need to talk about is we're going to talk about accommodating resistance, but I think it's important to understand just a quick uh, recap kind of on length, tension, relationships, resting muscles, because at the end of the day, we do want to understand how we're loading muscles and we do want to understand what happens if we load movement dysfunction and or mechanically uh, you know, shortened or weakened musculature. So going back to everything we do in the assessments, we're looking to reestablish proper uh, length tension relationships. So ideal posture, because that means the muscle has its ideal ability or ca biggest capacity to produce force from a muscle that's shortened can still be quote unquote strong and somebody can perform and a muscle that's even lengthened. Somebody can train and still produce good force to that, but that doesn't mean that they're doing it ideally. And then the relationship between agonist and antagonist will be off. So just going back to before we load anything, we want to make sure that we're really establishing proper uh, length tension relationships. Yes. Well said. And the resting length, of course, you know, it's just when the muscles at rest, <laughs> ideally. So, but like you said, when you're talking about lean tension relationships, I mean, we're talking about, as you mentioned, the association between that resting length and then the amount of internal tension that it can produce at that resting length. And so when we, I know Marty, when you and I discuss um, link tension relationships and the importance of it, you know, I always use the example of like making a fist. And ideally, you know, when you've got, 
you know, your, your muscles that are ideally lined up from joint to joint, then we don't have overactivity or underactivity on one side of the joint or the other. It is ideally lined up to produce the greatest amount of force. So for those of you guys that haven't been to one of our workshops, think about this if you're not watching it. But if you were to line up your elbow and your wrist and you make a really good fist and you're, you know, you've got kind of a neutral position in your wrist, that you're going to be able to make a really strong fist. And that's ideally where everything is lined up optimally. But if you go into wrist flexion and that is actually your, your, your resting length or what your, your body is saying is normal because of overactivity and the flexors, then what ends up happening is you're going to notice that that fist that you're making isn't as strong as it was when it was in a neutral position. And so when your muscle is overactive, it is still weak. And when it, if you go to the other um, example and the other extreme and you go into extension, you're going to see it's even weaker. And so when we talk about trying to find ideal alignment, that's actually what we're focusing on is making sure that we have proper link tension relationships from, you know, in the muscles. So therefore we don't have overactivity and underactivity. Well said, Wendy. Thanks, man. <laughs> Excellent. So, you know, I think you did a great job there talking about overactive and underactive. And this goes back to just everything we do, every assessment, every exercise we're looking at, is there muscles that are overactive doing too much of the work? Are there muscles underactive, not doing enough of the work? And then how do we put together programs that elicit the best response? So that way we get ideal firing patterns from both sides of a joint or creating good joint arthrokinematics. And I think that that's uh, the key thing. Again, you and I have talked about this in other mass direct roundtables. It's not that we're only going to do some resistance training on the underactive tissue, but we want to reestablish proper length first before we load either side, either the overactive or underactive. And I think it's important too, to think about this. If you've got clients that sit all day or they do these same movements each and every day, or even if they're sleeping and they sleep with the you know hips in a flex position because they're curled in a ball and they sleep for eight hours a day then the body ends up saying hey wait a minute maybe this is the new normal and so you know that becomes like where we're trying to reprogram the brain to get everything optimally lined up so again when we talk about chronic states and this is how our body is it's not like we're intending to do that on purpose it's just because of our daily activities in life that leads us to that and, um, you know, and those of you guys that are joining Marty Miller and I today on the Master Instructor Roundtable, we're talking about overcoming or accommodating resistance. But first of all, we want to overcome any compensations first in order to, um, you know, get the muscles ideally lined up. So when we go into the next few slides and I'll have Marty really kind of take us through a lot of it, because I think you're doing a phenomenal job explaining it. Um, you know, we're going to vary up different ways of, of choosing exercises for your clients that will reduce stress to the joints based on what we found. I will do my best, Wendy. <laughs> Put the pressure on you, Marty. <laughs> exactly. So she gives me the real wordy slide. I get That's what you're right. <laughs> So the words here are for everyone to read it and kind of digest it. And if you haven't heard of strength curves before, we're going to touch on it. But this hopefully elicits a response in you where you're like, you know what? I never thought about that when I was doing exercises. This makes sense to me now, but maybe I need to go look at it a little differently. So when we look at exercises, and I'm not talking about what phase of training somebody's in, we're just talking about the normal biomechanics on when you have a mechanical advantage or a mechanical disadvantage through your exercises. So it, again, the graph is kind of easy to see. There's a lot of words here, but again, it's just showing you what we want to look at. So there's three main strength curves we want to look at. We have an ascending, a descending, and a bell-shaped curve. 
So when you look at the first one, the ascending strength curve, these will be exercises that are easier at the top of the motion. So think about your bench press, your squat, your deadlift. It's harder at the beginning of the exercise. In the powerlifting realm, you might hear some people get, they get stuck in the hole or things like this, or there's a sticking point. That's just you know a more simpler way of looking at, hey, I could not get past the weakest point within that movement with the load that I was moving at that time. Once you get past that sticking point or that part of the exercise, it becomes easier for you just mechanically. And we'll show a slide later that really recaps that. But then the opposite in a descending strength curve or profile, exercises are at hardest at the top of the range of motion. Now the max strength might be produced at the very beginning. So view a pull-up, you have to really overcome, you know, that position from when you're starting at the bottom of a pull-up, but it gets mechanically harder as you get to the top of it. So that's the opposite of like a bench press. So you'll see people doing pull-ups. They, you know, let's forget the cheating and the swinging and all that, but let's assume that they could do some pull-ups, right? You'll see that as they get towards the top, that's where it's harder for them to finish the repetition. And that's where sometimes without knowing, I call them the T-Rex reps, right? Where they're just, they're just kind of forgetting it because they know mechanically they can't get to that. So a pull-up is a perfect example of that. And then a lot of your single joint exercises, like a bicep curl, a leg extension, some tricep exercises are more the bell-shaped curve where the exercise is harder in the middle. So we're going to really focus more on the ascending and descending because we're going to talk about resistance bands. But I think it's good for everyone to know that there are those three main type of strength curves. Yeah, and I think it's also important too that when we talk about full available range of motion, that you know we want to train someone for the full available range of motion and not just what they can produce um, you know, in a certain range, unless there's a specific reason, because we move in full available ranges, we want to be able to train that way. And so like, to your point, Marty, when you see people do chin ups, and they don't allow themselves to come all the way down, they're not actually getting as strong as they could, because you know what, it's harder if you do that. So everybody wants to make it look like, oh, I just did 12 chin ups, look how easy that was. But it's like, no, I want you to go all the way down, straighten your joint, and then push yourself back up. And it usually is quite a challenge. Um, when you start to incorporate, you know, these and, and to your point, it also, if understanding these strength curves, I think also helps people know when is, you know, when we're putting tempo to some of this stuff too, because, you know, when you think about this, when you're coming up and doing a pull-up, you should be able to pull up if you're using phase one, for example. I mean, I usually would, we wouldn't do that, but let's just do that if we were doing a four, two, one, or let's say we're doing phase two and we're doing a three, two, one or two, oh, two, whatever. Um, you would come up for one, hold for two, and then lower yourself down for three if it was a three, two, one. And I think people don't, you know, they kind of get confused with that because, you know, they're pulling and they're not going very fast. Ideally, you want to be able to get up in one. So um, that's where maybe some of these resistance bands can come into play, like the super bands to help, you know, right. modify some of that. Just Great saying. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, another thing that we've talked about um, in our PES, and I think this is still important, for you know whether you're doing CES all the way through PES with CPT in the middle is I think you do need to understand the force velocity curve. So there is a right amount of weight to develop power. If and that's why I love our superset. You pick up something very very heavy to wake up all the musculature. Then you go light so that way you can move at high speed. Yes, picking up something very heavy helps, and yes, moving at high speed helps. But we'll get more into that in the, in the PES on how you truly uh, elicit uh, power output. But I think the biggest thing here is when you're looking at the strength curves, you know, everyone back in the day when I grew up, everyone's like, 
what was your max bench press? Wendy, I know you used to walk around bragging about your max bench. Totally. I mean, if you got some bench, you, you, you know, you'd be blowing it up, blowing it up. <laughs> but if, if your max bench, Wendy, back in the day, which I do believe was 300 pounds, all that really is telling you is 300 pounds was the maximum you could lift at the weakest part of your lift. So if we only train with a barbell or dumbbells, and we know that there's all of a sudden a strength curve that allows me a mechanical advantage, am I truly maximizing my strength? Because I can only lift through the range of motion what I can overcome at my weakest point. So technically, if you really want to look at it from a performance standpoint, we're leaving strength on the table. Because as I gain a mechanical advantage, am I really challenging myself to my highest potential? The answer would be no. So this is where, from a sports performance standpoint, of the elastic bands and things will come in because as I get past my weakest point, now I start to have that accommodating resistance. The band now starts to stretch and add more resistance in the motion where I was at a mechanical advantage. So this is how you can really challenge someone to maximize all their strength gains by properly utilizing resistance bands. Yes. And those of you guys that are just joining Marty Miller and I on today's Master Instructor Roundtable, we're talking about accommodating resistance. And yes, we've talked about some anatomy and functional anatomy and the importance of, you know, proper link tension relationships in order to have neuromuscular efficiency throughout all of our movement. And Marty, I think when we talked about the strength curves, super, super important. And the, the force velocity curve, for some reason, people sometimes you know, they see that and they're like, oh, no, you know, this is going to be complicated and, and it's not. And to your point, I mean, I know with a lot of um, my clients, I love doing, you know, um, like chest presses and putting the resistance band on there. And they're like, man, this was so much harder because it's just different. Because think about this, if you are doing a chest press, even if you're using, you know, dumbbells and doing it, you know, you, people can come up and come down. They're used to that. But now you've got something that wants to shoot them back down. And while you're in the process of pushing up, um, because again, like you said, when, when the band, when you're the weakest, the band's the strongest. And so if you keep thinking about that, you really have to push through that as well as try to maintain proper alignment and tempo. So yeah, the, the bands are great. You can use change as well in some exercises. So chains are a little more easy to quantify the weight because you can, basically measure how many links that they're, you know, moving and you could weigh it. A band companies are going to have different resistance profiles. There's some similarity. I don't get caught up in the minutia on that. You know, I just know that what my bar weight or my dumbbell weight is or whatever exercise I'm using and then a light medium and all that. You, you can try to quantify it, of course, but over time bands can lose some of their tensile strength. So, you know, it's the measurement of it's not perfect, but the application of it is perfect. Oh, look at you using the perfect word. I love it. <laughs> I just thought I didn't even have that written down. So, you know, building off Wendy, what I said about when you were blowing up 300 pounds on the bench press was yeah. you were leaving strength on the table potentially if you weren't using accommodating resistance, if you're only loading yourself to the maximum that you could at your weakest point. So I always kind of view it as if I'm trying to get incredibly strong or incredibly powerful. Yes, you can use these for stability as well. We can talk about that but it's like putting water through a hose that has a few little leaks in it. You're not going to get the max pressure at the end of the hose. If there's a little bit of leakage in the hose. So if I want this person, if it's really that important that they get to that maximum strength, this is an absolute great way to put in the bands or chains, but then also for someone that just wants to challenge themselves, like you said, Wendy, have a little bit more of acceleration 
because if I'm accelerating a bar trying to do a power exercise, I have to slow myself down at some point. But if I use bands, I can extend the amount of time that I can accelerate that bar because as the band stretches, it's going to slow me down as well. So, you know, it just, it's a great tool to elicit better responses and to increase power and strength production. Well, and I think, yeah. And I I mean, to your point too, Marty, it's also different because it's not necessarily, we're just adding load. I mean, we're adding band, we are adding the resistance, but you know, the amount of load that we lift, lift each and every time it's putting such a demand on the joints itself. And I think, you know, we have to understand we start adding another 10 here and 25 here. And, you know, depending on whether we're using a bar or dumbbells or whatever it is, if we just decided to leave the weight alone and then adding to your point, different resistance bands, you know, whatever um, thickness or whatever, um, you know, difficulty we want to include in that band, even just a basic push-up with not even using a bar, I mean, can, can add more resistance to even just your body weight. And so I like to do this too, when the weight starts to get really, really heavy because it's so much different. And, you know, it's one of those things where, I know it's a little bit safer on the joint as we start to build up to these higher, higher levels of, of weight lifting and intensity in the exercise selection for sure. Yeah, it's a great point you bring up. And, you know, we could talk about it here in a slide or two. But the other thing, too, for people who are trying to use it to reduce injury is if I'm ready to do some strength training and depending on the machine or the exercise, a lot of times you have to do a dead star, right? Like a chest press, you just have to start from the very beginning or other exercises. Sometimes they have a foot adjustment that allows the bar to come out and you can do the eccentric first. But the beauty of bands is there's no inertia that you have to overcome. So if you're using a dead weight and that's when you have to start pushing, that's where the most amount of stress is in the joint. doesn't matter if it's a healthy joint or a joint that has arthritis or an injury. So bands are phenomenal to gradually or accommodate the resistance as the joint gets moving so it's much safer. So this is where the, the resistance bands can be phenomenal in corrective as well as stabilization, strength, or power. And the other thing too, when you know, I, I'll travel with my bands, I always do some type of um, rotator cuff work before any upper body work. And instead of grabbing a cable and doing external rotation, that's a constant resistance. I'll use a resistance band because as my rotator cuff gets in a shortened position, it's anatomically weaker. Well, why would I want not want the band to be providing more resistance in my weakest position, where if I use a cable, it's a constant resistance throughout the strength curve. So I will purposely choose a band over a cable because I'm trying to maximally strengthen my rotator cuff or other muscles when they're at their weakest. Mm-hmm. And I also want, you know, think it's important to note too, that, you know, when people don't use bands, a lot of times they're like, well, I think they're too easy or whatever the case may be. For me, I use it a lot as a tool with my clients to teach them tempo because, you know, oftentimes people go so fast that then the the band starts swinging and then you're like, okay, where was the control on that? And you can visually see not only, you know, you're not counting or whatever, but you visually see that obviously you during the deceleration or the eccentric portion of that contraction, they should be slowing things down. And instead they're just letting the band kind of whip themselves back into the starting position. And that's definitely not what you want. So to me, I think it's also a very good training tool, um, especially when you have those people that like where every time they move, it's like they're putting out a fire or trying to start a fire. It's just so fast, so fast. And you're like, OK, we need to slow this down. Right. So, um, you know, I think a lot of these little tips that we're talking about today can be so beneficial to trainers if you're not utilizing some of these cue, cues and tips, if you will. There you go.
right. We'll move forward. I know, right? And so we talked, we'd already talked about the injury prevention. So, you know, you and I both kind of put our spin on it, but the key thing is removes inertia and allows you to safely train at a resistance throughout the strength profiles. And, you know, I love the point that you made, Wendy, that it's kind of a visual cue on can they control the, the deceleration because the band does want to pull you back. So you then have to stabilize as well, which is a nice feature. Always a nice feature, Marty. <laughs> it's all about features. Yes. Yes. And it doesn't always have to be about the weights. Add some resistance bands. I'm telling you. Exactly. All right. So if we move on to the next slide here, we're going to talk about some different examples. Um, you know, I think in one of the exercises that that we talked about in the past about ones that I really liked, I usually do like a single arm um, chest press with a leg extended. It's a really good core exercise because the demand of having a heavy load on one side, you're lifting a leg out. So therefore, you really do have to, to maintain proper core alignment and activation, as well as doing a chest press. When you start adding the resistance band to it, again, now there's even more that's going to want to pull you down. And in this picture, it looks like the guy's left leg is extended. Whether it's extended or bent, it doesn't matter. But regardless, it's, it's trying to make sure that the hips stay neutral. And again, if he were just to let that go, the band would want to pull him back down towards the ground so with gravity. And so therefore, again, when you really want to focus on not necessarily lifting a heavier weight, but then learning to you know, go against and focus even more on the eccentric component of that exercise, which again is where most injuries occur and how you're going to actually get stronger when you go into power. I think this is a great learning um, exercise, again, in stabilization by slowing things down and really fighting gravity as well as the band, as well as the weight. Um, and this is one of the ones I use very, very often. Yeah. And that's our good friend, Andy Hanley there. So yeah, that's what I thought. Yes. I figured you were, but I'll take the other two here. So sure. with the one in the middle of the back extension, what I like about it is imagine I see people carrying like 45 pound plates, but when you're in that fully flexed position and your core is basically disengaged, you have to come from that dead stop and start the motion when you're at your most vulnerable. No, thank you. So when you can, if you can safely do the band, right, you could hold the band. There's different ways to do it, but it's, it's safe. It's not around his neck. He's only getting the resistance as he's getting into a biomechanically safe position. And it's going to, at the top is when he said, if he has to pause there for a second, that band's trying to pull him down. He has to really fight with his entire core, his glutes, et cetera, to really maintain that position. So I would much rather do a banded extension like this than a loaded with a plate or a dumbbell. And then the other person, I don't quite know who that might be, but uh, on the hip thrust there, as I'm coming up and getting out of the hole, I start to gain mechanical advantage. So the fact that I could ban that, and I purposely didn't put any plates on there so you could see the band, is that now I'm still getting maximum contraction at the top where I can really lock in my glutes. The other thing, this allows me to move at a higher speed if I want to do some type of speed work in, as I was doing here, in a hip thrust. So just a, a great application. Don't just do it, as I say, joking around because it's Instagrammable. There is a reason we should be utilizing bands, but I just think a lot of people do them because it looks cool. But I think sometimes they just kind of forget or don't even fully appreciate the science that's being applied. Yeah. And I mean, and when you think about this too, Marty, these are like really good examples. It's almost like if you're looking at each picture, it's like, here's phase one, here's phase two, and here's phase right. three. So like, you know, again, if you're looking at, you know, what Andy's doing, if his legs extended, 
obviously it's on an unstable surface then even though it is a bench because it's not like he's planted on the ground and his body's in a in, in that position plus it's a one-sided load um, that he's doing with it being a single arm and if you're slowing that down i mean again think about the core stabilization that you're working on as well as the chest um, it's and I think it's a very good like phase one type exercise or even paired with the phase two stabilization or strength, whichever way you want to look at it. And then again, when we talk about advancing into core and we think about now we're adding flexion and extension of the spine and getting those global muscles and the erectors now firing when we're going to back extension to your point, instead of it always having to be about an actual weight, use the band because to your point that gravity, I mean, you're having to fight that. So this is more of a, an advanced, you know, core, I mean, a strength core exercise that you could do, or even if you're doing something for just the back alone. And then to your point, you know, hip thrust, whether you're looking at it as a bridge, a hip thrust, I mean, they're the same thing pretty much. I mean, there's some differences, but instead of loading it with just like you said, the big weights, I mean, especially in power, I think this is great. Everyone's glutes are weak. And if you go and you're doing one to five reps in power of something really heavy, like your squats, and then you go into this and you're doing this for power with resistance, it is extremely challenging. And you are getting the best of both worlds by, as you can see, not necessarily having to load it heavy. Um, and, and that's what I think people sometimes think that power means it has to be really heavy, it has to be heavy. And then it needs to be fast. <laughs> yep, absolutely. And the other thing too, I travel a ton or people who have home gyms, you can automatically make your exercises more challenging. Like, you know, if you go to a gym and like, oh, they only have up to 50 pound dumbbells. I know it's Wendy's, what her problem is when she's doing bicep curls. Totally. But, have yeah. you seen my gun show, Marty? That's, why, that's why I said it. But if I can, if I have a set <laughs> I mean, of bands, My bench and my guns. I mean, I'm, exactly. I'm golden. <laughs> it's silly almost. It's silly. Jealous. But anyways, but if you have a set of bands, you don't necessarily need as much external load anymore, right? So whether you're in a hotel, whether you're traveling, whether you're building a home gym, if you understand how to mix these tools in, you can save yourself some time, space, and money by having the bands, which are less expensive, but also more versatile than just pure weight sometimes. Yes. And those of you guys who are joining Marty Miller and I today on the Master Instructor Roundtable, myself, Wendy Batts, and Marty are talking about accommodating resistance that it doesn't always have to be about the weight, but adding some resistance bands or chains or things that are going to fight gravity um, and cause just obviously some kind of different resistance to what you're constantly or currently doing. This is just ways to shape, you know, add some different tools in your toolbox without necessarily just increasing the actual weight itself. Do something different. And um, as you can see, when you're the weakest, it's the strongest and it's super, super challenging, especially going against gravity. Oh man, is it ever. So these are just some of the benefits. Again, we'll leave the slide up here for a few seconds. You can read through it. We, we've addressed it. So bands and or chains, obviously with bars, dumbbells, whatever safe. I've seen people uh, be creative safely and even use it with suspension training, increased power output. We've ex expressed why that is. I can spend more time accelerating the bar. I can work through my weaker ranges of motion. All of this is important. And then also uh, involve increased EMG activity. So if I'm loading myself more, especially in ranges of motion where I'm not normally working as hard, there's going to be more EMG activity. So if there's more activity of the musculature, then obviously there's going to be better benefits, whether it's a strength, hypertrophy, power output. It's just, again, another level 
of increasing the output of the movements uh, within the muscular system that's creating those movements. And then you'll see here similar or greater increase in strength and greater increase in rate of force development, which is amazing if you're training for performance. Wendy and I've always said everybody's an athlete. Every person you train needs to at some point spend some time increasing the rate of force development for you never know in activities of daily living, they could trip, they could fall, or maybe they want to play golf or tennis. It's all important. So this is why, again, having that good knowledge of accommodating resistance comes in handy. And then the benefits, as we talked about, may increase or decrease, I should say, joint soreness as a reduced load in that starting or bottom position. So all around, wonderful benefits. Yeah. And I mean, and one thing too, like when we were talking about the pull-ups, I think it's important, you know, we're talking about adding, you know, some external resistance, but I think it's also too, or um, good to understand that if like, let's say you're doing a pull-up and you can, you can put like a super band and tie it up um, where the pull-up bar is and you stick, you know, both feet in, then obviously you're de-weighting yourself to get perfect form and to allow yourself to work through that full range or available range of motion. And then as you get stronger doing that, you can take one foot out and then you've got it as kind of a, I always call it like a deloader, if you will, kind of a way to kind of give yourself a little bit more of a lift um, with help, because that's what the super bands do. They're lifting you up and providing, you know, giving you that extra little boost that you need versus it being a trainer's hand underneath your foot, just pushing you up and down. Um, and so when you're looking at different, you know, ways of, of doing these resistance bands or using it, you know, be creative and think about when is it going to be appropriate? Like I said, I use a lot of these bands, especially in power for the reasons that Marty, you even said. Um, but, you know, you can also, like I said, I think they're a great learning tool, whether it's tempo, you know, decreasing body weight if you need to, depending on obviously the positioning, as you talked about the starting position, whether um, the load is from the bottom or the top. So, you know, just things to think about. And um, one of the reasons, you know, I think, doing this today, hopefully will help you guys kind of think a little bit deeper in your programming and, you know, offer something different. Right. Great points as always. Thanks, man. So key takeaways. So as I think both of us talked today, is do you even have that good understanding of what we're working on when we add in resistance bands, accommodating resistance that there's three different strength profiles and curves you can look at. Yes. As Wendy said, we can also use it to make exercises easier, but the initial design of uh, bands was to probably <laughs> primarily work within loading those strength curves. But again, we get creative. I've seen even not for this topic, but people use them for self-stretching joint mobilizations, another application. Maybe that's another topic we can talk about. And then obviously, <laughs> just like anything else, you got to know your progressions and regressions. It's not about just, as I always say, making things Instagrammable. It's how do I apply this resistance safely, effectively? How do I make sure I continue to look at my bands to make sure that they're not at a point where I need to exchange them out for newer bands because they're being used? So put that into the progressions and regressions. And then I think, Wendy, we've talked about how you can use them in all three phases of training. So they're such a versatile tool, inexpensive, safe at a very unique application of force. And to me, they're great because you can travel with them. Absolutely. And they're really good too for people that are training over FaceTime and they're still doing things over um, the internet because most people ended up buying bands. And if they, if they do have weights, they probably only have weights up to a certain limit. So why not, why not combine the two? So therefore you're making the workout harder without having to go and buy something different than maybe they already have at home. 
Couldn't agree more. So when <laughs> you give these wonderful people your contact information? Yes. If you guys have any questions, comments, or ideas for future webinars, please reach out to me at wendy.bats at nasm.org, or you can find me on Instagram at wendy.bats13. And my Instagram and email will pop right up here as always. So Instagram is dr.martymiller72. And then my email is marty.miller at nasm.org. So Wendy, thank you so much for helping me get through such, I think, great content. I think something that hopefully everyone has some key takeaways from. And I can't thank everybody enough for joining in. And we look forward to seeing you again next week.